listening to Obstacle Races New Zealand. Join your hosts Max Bell and Stephen Steady as they explore the realms of obstacle sports, including OCR, mud running, adventure racing, hybrid racing, ninja and more in New Zealand and abroad. What have you been up to? Uh, you were, I see you were in uh, Tarong or Mount Monganui on the weekend. Yeah, so were you. Yep, yep. <laughs> so were a lot of people, yeah. Ultimate yes. Athlete was on. Ultimate Athlete was on, yep. Yes, got a bit of FOMO. Uh, still not racing, so I uh, spent the day wandering around, but I had a good day. Oh, that's and good. Uh, you look like you had a good day. You uh, did all right in the 3K. Yeah, busy day. So doing lots. Got to, got to race this year. It was fun. So I ended up jumping into the 3K last minute, entering the day before, uh, and ended up winning the race. Was <laughs> was good. Yeah, I can talk. I can begin to talk in a future episode about my race experience, break it down, but. Basically, yeah, I, I felt so underprepared going into it. It wasn't really warmed up or trained, and I just I just took off as fast as I could as soon as the the gun went. And then, like a few minutes in, we hit one of the walls, and I you know flipped, turned around, going over it to see behind me, and just couldn't see anyone behind me. I was I was shocked. Like, <laughs> um, it's interesting on the sand actually, because yeah, I took <clears> off as fast as I could, but because it's not concrete you can't hear footsteps and because there's the beach and the waves i guess the wind it sort of drowns out there was a fair bit of wind (laughs) yeah it was so windy but i had no idea if anyone was behind me so because yeah just interesting um conditions that there weren't footsteps or there weren't breathing sounds of someone on your neck i guess they were far away or the the waves and the wind blocked it out sort of shocked no one was behind me and we turned around saw that and then just decided I could maintain that pace and just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. It was hard. The sand is hard. But, yeah, I'll talk more about it in the future. Yeah, well, so, let, let, let's, and we'll just do a bit of a deeper dive and see if we can get uh, Gavin or Joss on and have a chat and get there, a bit of a wrap-up from them on how we went. Yeah, um, should we go a through a little bit of the results, the the elite, elite results? I'll give you the men. Uh, Julian Oakley came first uh, in five uh, – 50 – minutes 55 seconds michael voss the winner from last year did it in 51 38 pretty close behind and then ben hennessy was only a uh, oh he was a couple of minutes 55 40 so he was nearly two minutes behind but yeah the uh whole top seven people there was only like seven or eight minutes across them all so it uh, yeah. it looked good yeah looking at the top three is what i've looked into a bit deeper so Michael Voss, like you mentioned, came first last year. This year came second. Um, but the the first and the th- sorry the second and the third place from last year didn't integrate again this year. And this year Julian Oakley and Ben Hennessy weren't running last year either. This is an interesting comparison. But comparing the results the, from last year versus this year, this year there was a course change. If people don't know about that. They did the obstacle section twice. So this year was more sand and more obstacles. So comparing the the, finish, the top three elite finishing times from last year to this year, it's quite surprising that it's not actually that much higher in terms of timing. Time. I'm sort of shocked by that. So it was about 10 minutes-ish, an extra 10 minutes compared to the top three last year versus this year, which doesn't seem that much. Like I thought the no, obstacles in the not. sand would have slowed people down more than that. And I suppose we should throw out there that Julian Oakley did a, a half marathon 
the weekend before at an hour and six minutes. And Michael Voss won the Hawks Bay Marathon, full marathon, the week before too. So, uh, so much for tapering. Uh, nice. And the women, Debbie Fuller, first in an hour and two. Maria Bentley, she came second again in an hour and three. And then Navajo Prentice in an hour and nine. Maria just missed out again, about 40 seconds behind the, the winner. She did struggle with the wall. Uh, I was standing at the wall when the, the women came through and Deb Fuller went up the wall real easy and made it look easy the first time, while Maria did seem to struggle both times. Hmm. Although Maria, actually, because I saw them come through the first time past the wall. So I think Maria was in front. And yeah, Maria, me, Maria went up the wall, was the first a uh, woman to go up the um, the wall the first lap, yep. Uh, somewhere got past. But I think Michael Voss was in front in the yep. main as well, was he? Yep. yep. Somewhere he, he got past as well. The run, Julian came from behind on that run because they went, Voss was first going over the, the wall and then Oakley took him somewhere around the mountain and the same with Maria and Deb. Maria was in front when she headed off on the run and then Deb came around because I went over the other side and watched that, um, had a look at the other wall, the sloping wall near the start-finish line. Cool Sorry. race, being able to watch it. Oh, yeah. Being able to, the spectator set up, being able to see the elites come past twice, and it was awesome. I, I think the, the, the spectator side of it was a lot better this year, doing it twice, but also having some of the big one, the better ob uh, obstacles right by the, uh, for want of a better word, the festival area that uh, had to be all taken down because of the strong winds, but... We'll get into that in a, in a further episode. Yeah, we'll talk more in depth soon, but it was an awesome setup, awesome race. Um, and the, the top three we haven't mentioned, so they walked away with prize money. So I believe it was $3,000 for first place, male and female, and then 1000 second place, and 500 Is that right? 500 I think, yeah. Place? Yeah, so some prize money on the line was awesome. So, yeah, yeah, awesome to see. Do a bit more of a deeper dive into the results because there was a few NZOSA people there and a few of our friends and uh, they all did did well. There's a couple more like you got uh, first in their age groups and everything. So, all right. Well, tonight uh, we're going to have a chat with Nicola Reynolds, very quiet lady who has achieved a hell of a lot. It was very surprising. I've done a few. Rogan's that with her, and then when we started speaking to her, I'm like, oh, okay, she, she has been around a fair bit and done a lot of uh, exciting things. Yeah, it's good, good to hear about it. Someone who's entered races overseas as well, entered uh, some <clears throat> of the big, big races as yeah. well. So it's awesome to get, you know, always awesome to get people's opinions and thoughts on those sort of events compared to New Zealand. Yep, big advocate of just jumping in boots and all. Nothing like doing a bit of a smaller run uh, smaller uh, event first jump straight into some of the biggest events around the 24-hour races and uh, trifectas and things like that so no it was a very good very interesting chat what we'll uh, have a listen to now is a little bit from an interview we did with jamie the ceo of earshots uh, who is our sponsor for a few weeks instead of doing the normal advertising thing we're going to have a chat with the sponsors and get them to, to do their own advertising, for want of a better word. Yeah, so thanks a lot to Earshots for sponsoring the, the podcast. 
And if you guys want to purchase a pair, you can use the code NZOCR on their website. That will get you 10% off. November 2014, uh, I was actually doing some training for a, it was actually an adventure adventure race um, called the T42, which is on the central plateau of Tongariro National Park, and uh, was training for that. So that's a, like a, a dual, kind of like a duathlon adventure race. So you can do mountain biking and trail running. And so I was doing both of those things, training a lot, and um, I really enjoyed, loved listening to, you know, music, music in particular. Now, you know, I do a bit more podcasts. And so I would find that, you you know, you'd get all your kit ready and um, you'd head out into the hills, which for me was out the back of Palmerston North. So there's a few trails out there. There's a mountain bike park, but there's also a few um, roads that kind of traverse across the ranges behind us. Um, and so I'd head up there and, you know, be listening to, enjoy listening to my music and, but, uh, but it wouldn't take long. And I just got really, you know, earphones would fall out. I mean, you know what it's like we're doing kind of running out on the trails or riding and, um, you know, the earphones would fall out and just distract me, you know? And so when you're trying to get into a bit of a flow, cause you've got to run or ride for six hours, there's nothing worse than being distracted by crappy gear. So uh, I got distracted by these headphones falling out, was annoyed by them and thought, man, there's got to be a better way. It seems like no one who's actually done this type of activity is actually set a, designed a set of headphones because if they had, they wouldn't do this. Um, so I, yeah, for whatever reason, I decided, you know, I could do this better. You know, uh, I guess that was the start of the start of the journey, but it was, uh, it's been a long journey, you know, because I, I, convinced my wife I'm not a product designer so I'm just a, a guy that had a problem and convinced my wife that you know we'd remortgage the house and I'd give some money to a product designer and they would go off and take my idea and make it a reality and then what I learned was um, that they couldn't and I lost all that money which wasn't a lot but it was a lot for us because we were quite young so then didn't have any money and then I, I got I got a piece of advice from someone who had been involved in, you know, designing products for a long time. And he said, look, the best person to solve a problem is the person who's identified it and decided that they want to solve it. So you need to go about solving it, like yourself, like actually figure it out. So that started a journey for me of, um, you know, learning how to mould with plastics and, um, you know, do a whole lot of things. So that was really the genesis of, of the journey, but as I said, that was November 2014. It's been a bit of a heck of a heck of a ride since then. So, can we ask, what did you do before you became a product designer? So, I've had a, a varied kind of past. Um, predominantly, when I came out of university, I, I guess you'd say that I've I've been predominantly in kind of marketing and sales um, roles. So, out of I did a, a bachelor of marketing at the university here in Palmy and Massey. And then I went and worked at Toyota New Zealand for a couple of years, which is their head offices here. And um, and then after that, worked for a couple of kind of tech companies, software companies, and predominantly in uh, software. But but what I enjoyed was because we were a small company, I was always involved in product development. So I, I had a little bit of a sense of what was involved, but I'd never done it myself. So. Yeah, but, but predominantly it's been around software and, and technology and it's been around marketing and sales. And you've enjoyed the journey, I take it? I guess I guess it would have to wait. The, 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 
the net positives. I think you know I, I often draw a parallel to to, to being or to, you know to a, to an attempt to be an athlete. You know, like if you want to win at a sport, it takes absolute dedication. It takes the ability to pick yourself up from not winning because often people who do win have to go through a lot of not winning to get there. You know, you need to have a good team around you. You need to have good coaches. You need to, you know, to understand your body and, you know, your nutrition. And it's funny because for me, I just, that's just been such a strong parallel when people have asked me about, you know, the journey. Um, I just, I just draw a direct parallel to what it is to try and be a good athlete. It's exactly the same thing. You know, to, to do it, you need exactly the same things, just applied in a different field. So, so what was the dream at the beginning? What what was the first iteration of Earshots? The actual first iteration, the actual initial concept was, um, so I knew I wanted to solve this problem of things falling off and being distracting on your ears, and I figured out that magnets was the way to do that. And there's a very specific reason, which was there's a, really, there's a particular part of your ear which is the strongest, most stable part. And the only way to use that as part of the system is to have something on on both sides. So magnets kind of came up. But the actual initial concept I had was just to, just to do one side because, um, you know, for me, out training, I still use the, the sound, you know, often the sounds of your body, the sounds of your footsteps, the sounds of your bike are all part of cues for how you get into a rhythm. And so I, I just had this idea of one sound, one one ear, but I kind of realised that maybe that was going to be a bit obscure for people, and um, I should just do a like a do a start with a standard set of headphones that can you be used for both or one. So, but that was the original idea, and we started prototyping by ripping out ear, uh, iPods. So we'd get an iPod, we'd shuffle, and we'd rip it apart, and then we'd put it into a three D printed kind of case. And then um, we'd run it, go out running or riding with this this thing on our ears. So, yeah, we've been through all the iterations from just using uh, like uh, molds that don't work at all, that just you just put them on your ear through to iPod shuffles, and then eventually we we're able to you know rewire headphones. And so probably been you know a few of decent you know five hundred to six hundred plus prototypes just to get to the first working one. So it's, you know, a lot of work goes into it. We're going to have to cut it there, guys, for today. In future episodes, we're going to play some more of the interview with James Bell Booth. But now let's jump over to the interview with Nicola. Well, in the past episodes, we've had a few of the Kiwi legends from the world's toughest mudder. Um, seen who have taken part in those in a few years in the past and today we have another one uh, we have Nicola Reynolds joining us on the show Hello. and how's it going yeah good thanks for having me on yeah pleasure I got a list of races you've sent through should I read those out now and we'll, we'll dive in and ask you some questions about them yeah sounds good so 2016 is when you got into OCR I believe yes that's right um, Okay, so you did a, your first Tough Mudder in Brisbane in May. In September, you did your first Spartan, an Ultra Beast. Yep, Brisbane. Just dived on right on in there, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then continuing to dive in, uh, November 2016, you did World's Toughest Mudder yes. in Vegas. 
Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then 2017, um, Tough Mudder, Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. June 2017, uh, Whistler, Toughest Mudder, eight hour race, and you placed 11th woman, um, second in your age group. Yep. And it's got 25 miles contender status for World's Toughest Mudder. October 2017, did the, oh, the whole trifecta, the bright Spartan trifecta weekend. Yep, that's one. Nice. And November 2017, World's Toughest Mudder again in Vegas. Mm -hmm. May 2018, Toughest Mudder Australia. And November of that year, 2018, back to World's Toughest Mudder again in Atlanta. Yep, that's right. And then, yeah, I guess COVID hit. And then um, you've got down January 2019, the Tarawera Ultra. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. Well, let's first of all start off, get a bit of information about Nicole. Where you're from, what part of NZ, and uh, how did you get into OCR? Or could you come from a running background, or was it school, or was it just meeting Liam and ended up getting dragged, or Scotty, or one of those, and getting dragged along to events? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm a Kiwi girl, and um, grew up in West Auckland, and recently, oh wait, I say recently, but it's probably almost seven almost 17, 18 years, been living up in Helensville, um, just north of Auckland. And, yeah, I've been, um, so I'm a mum, so I have three kids. So I have an almost 17-year-old, a 15-year-old and a nine-year-old. So I've got my hands fairly full. And, um, yeah, so I've I've always enjoyed running. Um, I did I was in like, you know, the cross country teams and athletics at high school and and then probably left school and didn't do too much for a while until I actually had children. And then then I got back into my running and did a bit of uh I did a couple of marathons and a couple of I did two trail walkers with the group groups of friends. So yeah, so it was mainly running based. And then 2016 I um actually heard about um, Tough Mudder or World's Toughest and Spartan. It was my first time I'd heard about any of the obstacle races um, just through actually a principal at the, my kids' school. And um, you might have heard of um, Mark Brunton and Eileen Brunton. So Eileen was a principal up at our school and um, we got along very well and had quite a few chats and she always did very inspiring assembly talks but she wasn't just inspiring the the kids she was inspiring this mum <laughs> and she used quite a few examples of obstacle racing and I yes I started to quiz her more on what Mark was up to and um yeah and then it was the November 2015 and she had told me that um, Mark and Abe were over in um, Abraham Dyer from 808 he was they were over doing the 24-hour world's toughest so I followed along online and thought oh this is uh this looks interesting <laughs> so when they got back they held a bit of a discussion at 808 and so I went along and met them and Pretty much from there, I signed up to train with Abe because I knew that if that was something I was interested in, he was the man to help me get there. And um, But then I thought that I'd better actually have a go at an obstacle race. <laughs> 
and so um, there was a group of women from 808 who were um, going along to Tough Mudder in Brisbane. So I went along with them and we had a great weekend. And from there, I just threw myself in and committed to November 2016 and to train hard that year and get to World's Toughest. So, and also getting to World's Toughest in 2016 was a... Um, was going to mean I was going to be the first Kiwi woman doing World's Toughest as well, which was, so it was quite cool. So that's how I got into it, through sitting in some assemblies as a mum and got a little bit inspired by the, the talks aimed at the children, so. <laughs> okay, that sounds real interesting. Did you, you still go to 808 or? I haven't been, um, yeah, since lockdown, um, I kind of just was doing a lot of my training at home. So I've, yeah, not there at the moment, but yeah. Tough Mudder in Brisbane. How does that compare to other Tough Mudders? I know it being the first one, but uh, compared to the like the ones in the States, are they much the same? So, yeah, so fairly similar. They, they are um, a lot of uh, similar obstacles that they have over in the States. Um, Obviously, the yeah, I haven't done a just a regular tough mudder in the states, but um, yeah, a lot of obstacles are very similar there. Obviously, world's toughest. I think um, Matt was discussing and his the world's toughest. They seem to throw the obstacles even bigger, and there are a lot of uh, trialing for the next season of different obstacles in the, in that twenty four hour race. But yeah, but that tough mudder was a. Doing, having done Spartans and Tough Mudders, the Tough Mudder is um, just a regular Tough Mudder is quite, yeah, is a lot of fun. It, there's not too much pressure on it because you, if you choose not to do an obstacle, you, there's no penalty or anything like that. Um, so it's a great way, I mean, to open up that sort of thing to all a, such a huge variety of different people. And, you know, and everyone's out there doing it um their own way some are out there giving everything a go and some are making those choices to go around the obstacles but it's it's a nice way to challenge people and get out of their comfort zones you do uh sorry did a uh, tough mudder in brisbane and four months later you decide to go and do an ultra beast <laughs> yep um <laughs> <laughs> so a tough mudder for people who are listening is how long? So it's about 20, oh, oh no, it must be about 16, I think, isn't it? The, um, 16. I've yeah, never done a Tough Mudder, I'm yeah. afraid. Like, yeah, I think so. About 16 Ks. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, I've always been one to kind of, I mean, even when I did my marathons, was like, I hadn't done a half marathon yet. <laughs> I did a marathon before I did a half marathon. I do things a bit backwards, but. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. And then you jump into an ultra beast, which is what, 26, 20, 30 kilometres? So, yeah, so that was 42 kilometres. Oh, 42. Yep, 42. And I'm not sure, it seems like too many, but I had written down in my um, post from it, it was about, would have been about 90 obstacles. It was a, quite a full on course, that one. Um, I was told that that was one of the <laughs> toughest ones, some of the ones that had done Spartan. It was a, quite a tough course on that 2016 so yeah I've got 42 kilometers and 90 obstacles 
and I was still getting my the knack of those obstacles. So unfortunately, I did fail quite a few times. I was going to say, and how many burpees were involved? Well, <laughs> there's a funny story to that because I, I completed it. It took me about nine hours to do, do the course. And um, But that night, I fell asleep. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and my poor husband woke up to me just in tears and he's like, what's wrong? Are you all right? And I'm like, I just calculated how many burpees I've done. <laughs> I was 150 burpees. <laughs> so I learned a lot from that Spartan and, and I learned how much work I still had to do and the obstacle side of things. Um, running's definitely my strong point. Obstacles, I have to work very hard at and uh, are my challenge but that's what I like about obstacle racing <laughs> yes we say 90 obstacles how many of them were repeats or they're all oh so that you did the course twice twice okay so it's about 45 obstacles. yeah something like that like I say it sounds a little yeah I don't know but yeah but it was a big course and it was a very it was a very um there was a big hill in there too <laughs> but yeah no, it was it was, a, it was definitely an eye opener, but it um, kept me. It didn't scare me away. So, <laughs> as I can see, because two months later you decided to fly to Las Vegas and do twenty four hour race, like yeah, three exactly. times as long or nearly three times as long as the last one. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so, did you go over to Vegas with a group or? So, um, so through that two thousand and sixteen, um, through Abe and um Mark there. Um, at 808 and um, who were both doing the 2016 World's Toughest and along with um, I think there was eight Kiwi guys so there's about seven of us that we're all kind of kind of traveling together and some of them were sharing accommodation and um, so the guys and myself and um, yeah no it was a it, yeah it was great to be there with a um, to be able to do it with a group of Kiwis and yeah, I've seen on your Facebook and, and talking to Scotty and that there's a few photos with you all, Matt yeah. and all those. Yeah. Looks like you've had a great time. Yeah, and we've and through that we've done a lot of a lot of the um races we've done. Um there's been this group of us that have travelled around together and been able to make that happen and share accommodation and have um developed some yeah, some lots of really good memories that we've all shared together and great friendships. So yeah, that's no, been good. And then uh, you must have got a bit worn out in the Vegas desert because it's taken you nearly six months before you decided to do another one, unless there was <laughs> other little ones in there that you just decided yeah. not to put. Yeah, there's a bit, of a, a bit of a cost in there as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and especially, um, which is great, that the obstacle racing in New Zealand is developing more. Unfortunately, there's been the hold-up with the last couple of years, but... Um, yeah, because there is a big cost to go and get those sort of challenging um, races in. That world's toughest, my first one, so my aim, and I was on track with my training. Um, I was aiming for 50 miles, so which is about your, what, about your 80, 80 kilometres. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, in the middle of the night, I, I think I must have got one of my pits. I stayed in a bit long and um possibly didn't get the nutrition quite right so all learning and so i ended up with the starts of hypothermia so um ended up sleeping in a whole lot of different 
experience in the tent with um, people trying to warm me up and even including Steve Gurney who happened to be over there visiting and he was in the tent telling very bad jokes trying to get me laughing and <laughs> so I managed to warm up and got out for um, my last lap in the morning um, so I just managed my 30 miles on that first attempt at the Worlds and um, yeah so 30 miles about 48 kilometers so which was just the six laps at the end of it it was a big deal for me to you, you kind of when you have a goal it's always disappointing and to not hit that goal but um, at the same time you have to look at what you did achieve and that it was a big achievement to get out after being quite unwell in the night so yeah but yes then we moved on to Tough Mudder in Gold Coast in May 2017 and um, so that was a bit of a fun one it was Threw it in with a bit of a family holiday and was able to do that with my husband and um, some other friends. And then that was a bit of preparation to move on to Whistler, toughest mudder, which they brought in just in that year. They brought the eight hour races in. And I think I, yeah, you guys read out before the 25 miles contender status, they made it so that for Worlds, if you had a contender status, it gave you the start of a queue and you kind of had a different color bib at world so if there was a big queue at an obstacle you were meant to be able to kind of people knew you were out there trying to hit a big goal rather than because there's a lot of people out there who just get out for one or two laps um but the contender kind of shows that you're out there to have a go at it <laughs> okay so what's the difference between toughest mother and the world's toughest the world's just is the world it's a 24 hour race against an eight hour race yeah so yes yeah, so the toughest is um yeah so it's basically yeah so again it's a competitive race unlike the just the um the regular tough mother um so you've got your um must complete obstacles and and ones that have your penalty laps um it's eight hours they started at midnight just to throw a little bit of mind stuff in there again and it's, again it's an eight kilometer course and it was yeah so we were in in Whistler I don't know if you know in summer bears around we actually got issued um because normally we'd you might carry a little bit of nutrition out on course with you but the day before they actually told us we weren't allowed to carry anything out on course with us because they'd seen there's been a lot of bear sightings we all got issued with a, a bear whistle <laughs> and they actually had a team of um bear dogs or whatever they're called <laughs> who were out monitoring yeah and I think actually one of our girls um Tracy actually had to blow a whistle at a sighting of a beer but yeah so beer. just add to the adventure and a bit of a fear-based thing especially for us little naive kiwis and <laughs> <laughs> so the whistles to scare the bear away or get help yes. <laughs> well both I think <laughs> yes but, coming from New Zealand and you've gone and run in Australia and Whistler where in Australia most things eat you or kill you yeah. and no, I over almost there. got run over by a um, kangaroo <laughs> in Australia. yeah you can yeah, pretty much do what you like here and nothing's going to yeah, exactly. get scratched by a wetter or something. Yeah, that's right. So Whistler was um, probably one of my highlight races just because of the scenery. 
and it was quite a big race for me to um some of the names that were racing against especially within the women like we had Lindsay racing up against Lindsay Webster, Alison Ty, Stephanie Bishop and then it was quite a big achievement to place 11th in the women with those names in there so yeah, um, yeah. so yeah I it always love to be and second in your age group and That's... second in my age group yeah so yeah that was a big achievement I it was probably my biggest smile I had coming across the finish line on that one so yeah and yeah and that was just a great group event with um the friends that we yeah the group of us that went over um because it was some of them had never been to I, I've actually spent a year living in Canada oh, 20 years ago now but um yeah some of them hadn't been to Canada before and it's such an amazing scenic place to be able to do a race and um, including in the middle of the night, they, four o'clock in the morning, they threw in that we actually, they actually changed the course slightly and we actually had to go, because the Winter Olympics was there, but, um, yeah. and we actually had to walk up, well, run up, but it was more walking, <laughs> up one of the um, slalom, well, not the slalom, yeah. the, um, the jumps, jumps. ski yeah. jumps, yeah, so that no, was okay. nice throw in in the middle of the night, yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's certainly a spectacular part of the world. It um, is, yeah. And well, even doing it at any any ski event up in the mountains in North America would be pretty special, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then you ended off to Bright. Yeah. I've been trying to get to Bright since 2019. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's definitely one I'd recommend to get to. Yeah. Yeah. And trifecta weekend. So yeah, how did that go? Yeah, good. Um. It was really just getting out there and getting the kilometres in and the practice on the obstacles and um, yeah and um, got through the um, I think it was the must have been the beast on the Saturday and then the sprint and super on the Sunday or vice versa but yeah but no it was a um, great weekend and and it was my first time doing a sprint race that so was a bit different as well just with having the smaller. <laughs> race um it's finished already yes yeah, exactly. <laughs> i could do another one <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah like i say i do find the obstacles challenging um but but i love it and that's the part of it that i enjoy just pushing my challenging my body as much as i can and um but most of that comes into challenging your mind and um yeah, and that's the whole combination of that, those sort of endurance races that I like. So the trifecta weekend, you would have been up around the 80 and 90 obstacles for all three races again, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. So the burpee count came down? I, yes, it did come down. I haven't got a record of that one, but <laughs> I don't know why I kept the record of just my biggest burpee <laughs> record, but, um, but yes, it did come down, definitely had improved. <laughs> well, that's good. As long as it gets lower each time, that's what yeah, I keep exactly. thinking. <laughs> Still haven't nailed the spear throw, but um, yeah. I did in my first ever Spartan, I got the spear throw, and I've never got did it since. Nice. Yeah. And I think it's training. I've practiced before yeah. I did the last couple, and that just screwed everything up, I reckon. Okay. The first one, I didn't have much of an idea, and I just, <laughs> just threw it like a broomstick, and <laughs> it somehow stuck. So that, so that was my big training weekend before heading over to um, Vegas again. 
which was a bit of trying to get a bit of redemption on actually achieving my goal, which I did that weekend and got my 50 miles. And so with World's Toughest, they give bibs. And yep. so um, so that was the brown bib I was going for with my 50 miles. And um, So that yeah. was coming back and achieving your goal that you yeah exactly yeah nice so so that works out about 80 kilometers plus all obstacles and penalty laps and so i think it's about am i right the um yeah i think it's about 13 or so of obstacles are like must completes and the rest of them are like penalty laps and that year some of the penalty laps were were quite long but yeah so says I did officially I did 80 kilometers but um who knows how much <laughs> I actually did <laughs> but and sometimes in the middle of the night it's making those sort of strategic decisions of um am I gonna do this obstacle there's nobody around to help me now during the day there's more people around um or am I gonna go walk off into the desert and um, have a little hike around. <laughs> so what would a penalty loop be? How long would that be? Like a kilometre, two kilometres? Um, sometimes they're only about um, a few hundred metres or so, but I remember <coughs> there being one, um, I've forgotten the name of the obstacle, but there was quite a high wall and you really, and there was just nobody around. And so I really had no choice and, um, it was right in the middle of the night and I remember walking down and there was just nobody in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and I'm just, I could just sit down here and no one would know us here. <laughs> but anyway, but that one seemed like a very long one, but um, they were quite long that year. Yes. Nice. Yeah. At least 400, <clears throat> that, like I said, that one, yeah, that was getting up there a, a lot longer than that. Um, something we had, um, <clears throat> might have been Scotty, in a previous episode explained that I didn't realize either that world's toughest mudder they track your distance via how many laps you do right yeah yeah so when, when you guys are saying like 30 miles or whatever you're really beyond that because yeah. you're doing yeah I didn't yeah. realize that either so these penalty loops aren't counting in the distance no so you're not, it, not yeah it makes it impressive yeah. that the actual yeah. mileage is beyond yes. what your title is yeah it's awesome yeah so um yeah, at Vegas, I think one of the guys mentioned that they've um, Vegas was known for the cliff jump. So the um, first race that I did, um, or 2016, I because of where I had to stop at night, I actually missed the cliff jump because they only they kind of run it from about they open it up about midnight again just to throw the mind jumping off a cliff in the middle of the night <laughs> and. Um, then they cut it off in the morning. Um, so this time I actually, it was quite a cold year in 2017 for in the at night time. The temperatures during the day are really are quite high, and then they just drop down to like freeze. In the desert. Yeah. And um yeah, so we were kind of as a team, kind of it was kind of suggested from the pit crew, just try and stay away from going off the cliff during the night but in the morning I was like oh I really want to do the cliff and it was going to be the last year but then um it scared me because I'm not a huge fan of heights but I'll, I, I do it obviously um 
but yeah, I actually remember standing there and we had, you had to almost do a turn off to go to the walk over to the cliff. And there was this me and this other guy and we're both standing there and we realized we we're both standing there thinking about the same thing. <laughs> we talked each other into it. It's like, well, if you do it, I'll do it. And so I ended up, I stood there for a while. It took me a while to get off. It's, and, um, I remember someone yelling out, come on, prove that Kiwis can fly. So, um, yeah, so that was quite a big achievement for me getting off so, that. So what sort of height are we talking about? Um, I'm just going to have a quick check on my little map here and see if it actually says, oh, doesn't say. Oh, hang on, 35 feet. Does that sound right for um, 10, metres. 10 metres? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, it's not, not it's a little quite, job. Not a little jump, no, and it's getting it all right as well when you. I suppose the water you land in the bottom is warm too. Yeah, exactly. You have to get back up the up the other side and 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 do, yeah, there's a lot of training trying to make sure you jumped right and but then you need to when you're that worried about it and <laughs> and you've been running around the desert for almost twenty hours. It's like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was a big achievement that year, getting my 50, um, 50 miles in there. So just on that, you've got a brown bib. What what other colour bibs or how does that work? Like I've so never done 20, it and I don't think Max has. Yeah, so 25 miles, you get a patch. Um, and, oh, and actually in the last couple of years, they've changed it to also um, a golden carabiner. Um, which you can in the last couple of years you've been able to use to um, if you want to give it in you could try change around um, skip a part of a course skip a couple of obstacles so tw that's 25 miles and then it's um, 50 miles as a brown bib 75 as a silver and yeah and then there's a hundred miles which two or three people get and um and they actually get a jacket they get an orange jacket yeah <laughs> yeah but that's for uh, just a few <laughs> um yeah 100 miles with 90 million uh, obstacles in in 24 hours is pretty good yeah well well yeah so it's yeah when you think about that yeah 100 miles and all those obstacles it's yeah and and they just start going Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's quite amazing to see those guys at that level running. In well, but Scotty's up there. He's he 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 placed really well in in that year. So yeah, he did yeah. say you did well. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think we asked him about the different color jackets because or the different color bibs and all that. Uh, yeah. It's only because you've written it down that I actually thought, okay, what are they? Yeah. Right. Do you guys get yeah. to keep the bibs afterwards? That's something yes. you took away with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So you've got your bib sets. So your number is the same bib, and then same style of bib. So it's a fabric bib, and then yeah, then you get your coloured bibs as you earn them. And they up on my middle, middle rack there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that'd be something you'd want to and remember can, display. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and then 2018 was a bit of a quiet year. Back to Australia for the eight-hour race yep so that was uh, another toughest mother trying to get a um contender for worlds at the end of the year yep so yeah so i got my 25 miles which is what i needed to do in the eight hours first in the age group and eight female in that one so 
yeah, so I was pretty pleased with that. And that was another, it, yeah, it's not just the the running and the obstacles, it's all the other little things that happen along the way where, that you get the different memories on the different courses. And um, yeah, like I said before, I almost got run over by a um, kangaroo. Uh, kangaroo in the middle of the night. Thankfully, there was a girl, Holly Inglis, who was running behind me, who, who we'd met through World's Toughest, and um, she was a friend with Matt and yeah she happened to be behind me and she just suddenly just grabbed me from behind and um this kangaroo ran stomping through in front of me and then there was one behind us <laughs> and I was just like okay so what happens if on the next lap I'm on my own what do I do <laughs> but yeah I didn't um encounter any more kangaroos that night so that was good <laughs> So you, you came first in your age group, an eighth female. So mm -hmm. this is in Australia. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the other, the, there were seven other women in front of you, were they Kiwis and Australians or was there more internationals like from Canada and and um, that? I think there was there was a Canadian who'd come over. It might have been Alison Ty had come over. So she was there. And yeah, and then it was mostly Australians. Yeah. Okay. And they all went off to... The world's toughest. Uh, you um, you see him again over yes, there, or did. yeah. So Holly went over. So she um she came fifth in the female. So she said so if you come in the fifth at the first the top five, sorry, um of toughest, then you go as an elite. You can race as an elite at world's toughest. Okay. And so yes, yeah, so she went over with that, and yeah, and I think there was a couple of other Australians that went over. And then, yeah, and then moving on to November and the race had moved down to Atlanta, Georgia. And um, uh, about a couple of days beforehand, there was a freeze warning put out on the weather forecast, <laughs> which is just what you want when you're doing an obstacle race. <laughs> and um, literally it just, yeah, so I went out, I was aiming for... But I was hoping in my training, I was wanting at least the brown bib, but I thought possibly I was at the capability to get up to possibly the 75. But so I kind of had my kind of a quiet goal of 75 yeah. and then at least the 50. But the weather conditions completely changed that for me. As soon as we kind of started, it was quite aware we had to adjust our our goals but that one again I yeah got very cold <laughs> and started hypothermia again and had to make the call just to stop and so I got six laps in so I did get my 25 miles in my golden carabiner which was ended up being quite a big achievement on that race yeah but I mean when I say freezing conditions it was literally there was ice on obstacles um I don't know if you've seen the big um tough mudder pyramid what is it what's it called again I've forgotten the name of it um but it's quite high and it's all metal it's like the climbing rope and you have to climb over and it was literally touching that metal at the top it was just yeah everything was frozen there was actually ended up being some obstacles that got closed because they had ice on them and um anything that got left outside like if you left a bottle of water out it was 
literally frozen solid wetsuit. I think we've got a picture of someone holding a wetsuit that had been taken off and it was just like a stiff board. So that, that's how cold it was. And yeah, so I made the call to actually stop. I, I, you know, when you do the year afterwards, in hindsight, you always look, oh, could I have had oh. a sleep and warmed up and had another run? My um, support crew was with me and they were all like, no, I've, we made the right call. And that, you know, you quite rely on them quite a lot to make those calls for you to, um, especially in those sort of conditions, because your brain doesn't work. Yeah, I can remember when we were talking to Scotty. Uh, I know he didn't go to Atlanta. It was uh, Iceland he was talking about. Yes. But he said he had all the warm gear from New Zealand and everything he got over there and his fingers were freezing in his gloves yeah. in his hotel room. So yeah. he had to go out and buy all new clothes and yeah. new gear because uh, it was a hell of a lot colder than yeah, he exactly. anticipated. And it and sounds like it's similar there. Yeah, and it's right. And it wasn't, yeah, it was just like a... Um, it's not something that they have regularly at that time of the year, the freeze warning. But yeah, so it was, yeah, a lot of the people, the locals weren't even prepared and it was just nothing else. We had everything on. You like you always take extra warm stuff. There's just nothing else to do to warm up. But um, there was. But your pit, is that inside a tent or is that all in the open as well? What was that? Where sorry? Pit, where your pit crew are waiting for you. Is that out in the open or is that? So it's out in the open, so you set up your own little tent, so you have a little pit area. They do have um, like a medic tent, and it used to be you could only go in there if something was wrong, but especially this year, they um, did allow people to go in there for a certain amount of time, but you could only stay in there for a certain amount of time to warm up because they have big jet heaters. So there's a area, but there was, yeah, that was... A very busy tent because <laughs> everyone was trying to warm up in there. Um, but then once you've been in there a certain amount of time, then you kind of need to make the call whether you're going to try and warm up in your tent or um, just kind of pull the pin. But yeah. Yeah. So, but then, so after that, I came back and I, because I had the distance in me. But I, um, so that was why I went in straight, got into Chowriwa, um, and did the 102 kilometres. And that was a real determined, uh, I just had to, for myself, I had to achieve that goal no matter what. And so, yeah. Can I ask how long it took you to do the 102? Um, yeah, again, this was the first time I changed my, I, I did train with it, but I actually ch changed my hydration drink. And it was the first time I've ever had really sick stomach. So 60 kilometres, I was like throwing up and I just headed off up on the, the longest part back out. And thankfully somebody had um, an anti-nausea tablet and I think that saved my race. <laughs> and um, so on a handful of pretzels for my last 40 kilometres, I fueled myself. So it was longer than I planned, but I did it in 18 hours 58. But I was just determined to get there no matter what and I even had I, the medics kind of walk down to meet me on that but after so obviously people would see me unwell and but so I was did everything I could to make sure I was looking okay <laughs> and ha sat and had a drink with them and, <laughs> and they fueled me up a little bit but um yeah 
I just was very, very determined that I was going to finish no matter what. Had to tick it off for my brain, for my head and my So heart. you're going back to have another go or one solve? Darariwa? Yes. Um, yeah, I would like to. I'll admit over the last couple of years I've kind of um, haven't been doing quite as – I just kind of took a step back. I've been doing um, – taking up Wakarama – um, paddling and have found a amazing group of ladies that are a team that we're on paddling with but yes I'm this year I have just in the last few weeks been saying I need to tick off I need to go and do some more running I yeah just for I think for my mental health it's a big part for me of the, a lot of the races that it's I just need those challenges and um but I need something to be goaling for I can't just go out and exercise so I need a I need a goal <laughs> need something to go for and the last two years has put a lot of barriers in the way from that it's like yeah that's right I'm the same I love running just for mental health more than anything else yep. yeah uh, but when you don't have anything and uh, like I said I had coffee with Liam today and I says it's just so hard to get out of bed at 5 30 and go for a run or go to the gym yeah. now because exactly. well it's coming back but for the last year it's like why am I doing this? I know. <laughs> and, and it's, so. yeah, it's like with everything. And um, I mean, it's hard enough for us. And I just feel so much for the kids and the teenagers, who, you know, just it's like just everything just keeps getting cancelled. And it's almost like, well, what's the point? But there is a point and, oh. um, and it's coming back. And um, yeah. And a big part of me as well with um, taking a little step back at first, but ended up being a bit of a, longer step than I'd planned was um I mean as a mum these races you know uh, uh, you guys know what the running and things that you do it takes a lot of time and so for me to go train for 24-hour races that's not just me giving the time it's my whole family your whole family um, yeah yeah but um but they were all I'm very lucky to have them all fully behind whatever I want to do <laughs> and yeah. They'll be getting old enough to be your pit crew now. Well, exactly. <laughs> Got some actually helpful, some come along and be, help me out. Um, but, but it's cool having my my son is 15 and he started getting his trail running through school and stuff. So we've been he's been going with his school team to the exteriors. And um, so that's cool just to start yeah. doing the same sort of things. Yeah, do you want to speak a little bit about how you manage running and training with kids? Because um, I got kids myself, but I mean, I, I run like 10k. But, but even even going for 10k runs for me and the kids is a tricky to fit in. So yeah. How do you, what sort of strategies do you have to do it, um, especially when you're training for long endurance events? So I, it, I was because my husband has a landscape business, so so I was just. Well, not just. I was doing the um, office work for his business or for our business. And so in that way, I was a little bit lucky that I could juggle my timing a bit when the kids were at school or in kindy and that, at that time. They're all at, obviously all at school once I started doing some of more of the races. So in that way, I was lucky that I could juggle that around. But my long trainings were always in the weekend so when Bryce was around and so he just took you know worked all week and then took charge over the over the weekends and um, I'd get out 
early in the weekends to get my trainings done and I did a lot of my train my um, strength training was through 808 which I'd either do in the evening or um, I'd have a personal training once a week or once a fortnight um, but then I also just invested in a little bit of equipment at home just being in Helensville so I wasn't having to travel so much and just would have my program set for me and get it done at home but yeah so and that's probably another part of the last couple of years getting a bit trickier because I am working five days a week now as well as everything else as well so that you know it is makes it a bit harder makes it a bit harder yeah Mm. but determined to go and get something done and um yeah and I'm yeah quite keen to go have a go at the um ultimate athlete this what coming up and in May it's going to be one of my little little goals and yeah (laughs) we both have the same option same plan don't we Max yeah yeah yeah, looking so forward to that one. New Zealand events. And, yes. Yeah. yes, we're getting a few more New Zealand events on the calendar. will be really good. Yeah. Um, just on a side issue, like one of the things that we put this got this podcast going was to, to get more people involved in obstacle racing and, and that sort of thing. From a female's point of view, how do you, how do you see, or what's a good way of encouraging teenage women into the sport like getting them involved um because we've spoken to the tough tough guy tough girl crew and they have no problems getting school kids in no. but yeah. it's when they get to the teenage that old leaving school and all that sort of yeah. drops away um and and trying to get encourage them have you got any thoughts on that or um yeah it's a hard one I have a teenage daughter myself and <laughs> um, it is hard just to um, keep them going. Um, it's a lot easier for the boys. They just kind of seem to keep up with their different sports. And um, over my daughter, I did get her along. And when Spartan was here, for the <laughs> we went and did the, um, did the sprint together, which she loved. And, yeah, I don't know. It's something that... Yeah, it's definitely a tricky one, especially for the teenage girls, I think. To, we've, it's hard enough to keep them in sport, yeah, let alone trying to get them into the obstacle racing. I think the thing with obstacle racing is if it can be seen as a, um, it's such an all-round type of thing, so it's not just out going for a run, but, you know, yeah. there's a bit of a challenge. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, and for me, it's like, yeah, getting those teenagers um, and also me as coming through as a mum, just the importance to women just to go and have have a go. And um, I think just women or people in general, but I think more so for women, they put limits on themselves. If they're not, if they're not really good at something, then they shouldn't, don't have a go at it type thing. It's just... Um, and you know to go and do something you have to be really fit but there's needs to be a bit more of the understanding of yeah sometimes you just want them to get to the event and have a look at those a huge range of people that are giving it a go and which is so inspiring it's the the huge difference of levels of fitness and um and the courage that some of those people um 
have to just get out there and do it. Um, yeah, and for mums as well, which has always been something for me, is just making the time for yourself. And that's always been a key for me is um, that I'm a better mum and a healthier mum. And when I have had that time out and and done something for myself and achieved something for myself and and hopefully sharing some some good healthy habits to my children and um but yeah but there's so many women who just think oh I couldn't do it but yeah just just trying to break through those things to yeah it'll be interesting to see how uh tough guy tough girl go this year they they started last year but they didn't because of so yeah. cancelled events, but they've started a women's only yeah, team did. event to try and get one woman involved from the work and then drag a few of her friends along and yeah. and get that. So that'll be quite interesting. We had a long chat with Murray and um, he uh, he was hoping yeah, that was going to get yeah. more returning because he gets a lot of in the mid 20 males come back, but yeah, women yeah. do it once and just never come back. So it's, yeah. it's trying to encourage that or. Um, Get a bit of the camaraderie because I have to admit, I, the, the thing I like about a lot of it is that the team, not the team, they're going there with your, your mates, mm. uh, having a good time. Yeah, that's um, right. And, and all that. It's because, uh, uh, like, I went to Australia a couple of times with some friends and it is, it's really good fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. on that idea of women, especially young women, dropping out of sport, I see Sport New Zealand has got a campaign at the moment they're doing called it's it's my move so yeah yeah that's quite a big move yeah. yeah start trying to encourage young women because i think it is quite well documented that yeah young girls get into sport through school and then there's a huge drop off in the teenage years among yeah. females and yeah something would be awesome to push an ocr get it along and but something sport new zealand is pushing across all sports in the country as well trying to get re-engaged woman yeah quite pleased to see that and it's not aimed at one specific sport it's just aimed in not even doing a sport it's just getting out and doing something whether it's dancing or going for a walk or just move yeah like you say the name of a is um what was it get out and move or um yeah yeah, move. yeah. yeah. is there anything we haven't discussed that you want to talk about from your obstacle sport racing or your running racing or anything else you want to throw out there I think we've covered most things. Yeah, no, I guess my big thing is to, yeah, like I say, I'm not a, I'm, I've never been uh, amazing at the obstacles and there's a lot of people who are a lot better at things like that than I am. Um, I need to work really hard on my upper body strength and, um, and even the running. I'm not a speedster, but I just get out and do it. And it's just, it doesn't have to be a big, huge endurance event. It's just get out and have a go and have some fun with it. And, um, yeah, it doesn't matter what the distance is and it doesn't matter where you place. Yep, it's cool to get a medal or whatever, but it, that's not what it's all about, you know, for the majority of people doing these races. It's just challenging yourself and um, challenge your mind and your body and have some fun with it. But yeah that's my big thing is for people just to not hold back and just give it a go do you have any other questions or anything max so are there any plans for yourself and the others who you traveled with 
mm-hmm. you know, in previous years over to World's Toughest Mudder. Have you guys been talking about doing more World's Toughest Mudders coming up? Um, I know there's a couple that are possibly haven't caught up with them recently, but there was a couple that were playing with the idea maybe for the end of this year. So I'm not sure what they've decided. I'll need to chase that one up. <laughs> um, but there's definitely a few of us, and including myself, I'll have to get a bit more extra work done. But I, yeah, I wouldn't say never to another one. But um, yeah, I do like the events and... Um, for me, it won't be this year, but um, yeah, I've, I definitely am keen to go and do some other events at some point. But yeah, when that will be, I'm not sure. And I guess I better not not hold back too long with uh, not getting any younger. But that's <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I know there are some uh, some of them that are definitely do want to do one at some point. And yeah. Okay. So how many people walk a world's toughest motor? <laughs> so many. Well, because what you're saying about giving it a go, I just saw that uh, this so year. World's toughest of yeah. so much be uh, just go give that a go. Okay. Um, there, there definitely are some some from over in America that do just go out. You know, they're this real um, hardcore, tough mudder supporters and. Um, they just do as many events as they can, and there are some that will probably only do a few laps, and they'll go out at the beginning, and yeah, they just go out and have a bit of fun with it. But that's all right when you're not having to travel all that way. <laughs> yeah, um, I, saw, I saw recently that this year's World's Toughest Mudder is um, in Alabama, yeah, in the US, yeah, which is where my partner is from. All her family's over there. Um, so we've been meaning to go back and visit. I'm like, oh, I wish could be an excuse. We could book in, <laughs> go, yeah. go visit her family at the end of this year, go yeah. to World's Toughest Mudder. Yeah, around like, November, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, I can't run that far. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should try and push it and just sign up and do a couple yeah, of Yeah, there would be, be people out there that do just walk. I mean, obviously you need to... Um, yeah, you just um, play in what what your goals are, and um, and you. So, I mean, some people go out with a goal of twenty five miles. Some go out for the goal of a hundred miles, and yeah, it's everyone's got their different different aims. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming along. Yeah. And no having worries. a chat with us and no, uh, being insightful. We have one more question we throw to mm. everyone. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you you've listened to our other podcast, so you know I'm what we're going to ask you. I should have researched this one. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can have a coffee with anyone, dead or alive, who would you like to have a coffee with and why? Ah, uh, I'm not really sure actually. Um, Music-wise, I mean, I'm not much of a musician myself, but I like love the music. Um, I wouldn't mind going and having a taking my daughter along for a coffee and um having a look at having a chat with Ben Harper <laughs> um, and looking at his um, amazing collection of guitars. Uh, trying to think. Um, obstacle racing. Oh, it doesn't have to be obstacle racing. It could be yeah. any reason. Like we've had Donald Trump. We've had God. We've had <laughs> James Cook. God. So, yeah, so Ben Harper could be yeah, fine. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 
um yeah it's someone i'd like to i'd love to be able to just yeah i don't know coffee chat with him have a chat mm. how's music get my daughter in on that one yeah <laughs> he's a big ben harbour fan is she um oh we are but he's just an amazing musician and she's very into her music and, um yeah well thank you again it's been a very enjoyable chat yeah thank you